0: are listening to the brand architect podcast and this is your host ani alexander
1: Hey, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Brand Architect Podcast. Uh, it's, as always, streamed on Facebook and LinkedIn profiles of mine. Uh, we're covering topics uh, related to marketing, related to branding, entrepreneurships, and tech startups. So um, let's have our guest uh, over, and uh, let's basically dive in straight away. Hello, Mark. Uh, welcome. Mark Evans is uh, in the studio. Welcome, Mark. Uh, yeah, nice thank to have you. you.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation about all things marketing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. Things here in Canada seem to be opening up slowly but surely. Uh, I think people are feeling pretty good about the fact that it's summer and that um, they can, maybe the economy is doing a little bit better. So yeah, overall, it's, it's pretty good.
1: Okay. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, it feels like you're um, one of um, the people I've been speaking to recently who uh, who are in this uh, crossroad between the tech and marketing because you work with uh, tech startups, um, you are covering their marketing side. Uh, so it's interesting, sort of, you know, to, to see this, so many people who are uh, functioning as a bridge between the two sides of the story.
0: Right. So originally I was a, a journalist at technology journals for two of Canada's newspapers. So so if you look at it from a professional perspective, I'm a, I'm a storyteller and I've always been a storyteller. And mm-hmm. I recently got into the world of technology and discovered that most technology companies are not good storytellers. In fact, they're bad storytellers because they're very yeah. focused on their products and the technology and the features. And it's really hard to tell a story because that kind of stuff is not very accessible. It's interesting for the entrepreneurs, but for customers, they, they really don't care. What they care about is how it's going to change their lives. And stories are the best way to make that happen.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say I, I totally agree with you that tech startups are not good storytellers, but uh, uh, not even that. I think the storytelling in general is, is uh um a little bit undervalued overall in marketing i mean it's 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 um, people start talking about more and more these days but uh but still good storytellers uh, tellers are not too many over there and there is this trend i don't know if you would agree with me but um there is this you know storytelling side of things and also the MarTech, which is all these tools and technologies behind marketing and lots of data related stuff, which is sometimes distracting people so much that they kind of, you know, once they start going too deep into that route, uh, they, they lose the stories and they get into data too much. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, uh, how do you feel about this? Is it one or the other or there is a way to combine both?
0: So that is a loaded question because we're talking about <laughs> two distinct fields of interest so on one side you've got sort of the branding storytelling positioning and the other side you've got you've got you've got data and so yeah. you're right the pendulum in recent years has swung from branding to data everything is driven by data everything has to be measured everything needs to be quantified and if you can't measure it then it's not worth doing but that takes away from the fact that branding matters, that being able to have a distinct place in the marketplace and to show consumers that you are different, that you're unique, um, that makes a difference in terms of how customers look at your brand and whether they want to buy your brand. So what I'm hoping, and maybe we're seeing signs of it, is that the pendulum is starting to swing back. So it's Mm -hmm. not so much on the extreme of data, but maybe it's coming back a little bit more towards the middle. And What's interesting is a lot of technology companies in particular have fallen in love with data. They're obsessed with data, with metrics, yeah. with KPIs, and they don't appreciate the value of branding and brand storytelling because part of it is that it's you can't quantify it. Like yeah. what's the success of a, of a of a a better brand positioning? Well, anecdotally it seems to be pretty good, but but if you can't exactly pinpoint the impact than yeah. skepticism.
1: Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, the way I, I look at it, I'm, I'm very grateful that we have this data because we can, uh, we can go to it and understand a little bit more about what you've done and how it resonated with people. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't really uh, sort of, you know, look at the KPIs from the very beginning. I'd rather, you know, do the branding and storytelling side of things and then later on go to the data availability and see how it performed. like, you know, in, in terms of the uh, using data to know the audience better if it's possible but um using data just to to replace it with those intangible things that are important like how do you actually uh quantify um the quality of your relationship with your audience or with your client right i mean how, how do you quantify uh, the emotional uh, connection with them it, it's something that it's very hard to put into a data form, so but it's it's probably very, way more valuable than the KPIs that you had set in the beginning, right? right.
0: Yeah, well, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think that the data is important, but there's a there's a happy sort of marriage between data and branding, and that successful companies have both successful companies understand the value of both. Yeah. But the thing about branding is that in some ways it's a leap of faith. You really have to buy into the idea that branding matters. And the way that you measure it is not you don't measure it in the same ways that you would measure tactical execution. The way that you measure brand and brand aura is you talk to your customers and you, you ask them or prospects and you ask them, do you understand what we do? Do you understand yeah. how we're different? Do you understand the value that we, our product delivers to you? And, and would you trust our brand to, if you purchased it? And if, if, if the, the reaction is positive, if people, yes, I understand what you do, understand the value, then mm-hmm. you know that your branding is on point. And so I think it's an important consideration for a lot of um, entrepreneurs is that there is a place for both and both have value and you just have to balance them equally and you can measure them in different ways it doesn't mean that one way to measure them is better than the other it just means that that measurement is really important on both sides of the equation
1: yeah yeah i do agree with you uh i mean talking about storytelling um sometimes uh people kind of have this counter argument of you know personal brands, startup founders, and everyone else uh, keep saying, yes, but I don't have stories. Like I don't have anything to tell. Uh, And it's very hard for them to to pinpoint what exactly is going to be the core of of the story that they are going to build around. Right. Uh, How do you go about this? When, when you work with startups, uh, where do you start?
0: So I think it's a bit of a fallacy um, that entrepreneurs don't have stories to tell. So, that there's a bit of a like a, a stepping stones for storytelling, especially when you're an early stage startup. So when you're when you're starting and you have no customers, the story is about you. Like, what yeah. is your origin story? Why are you solving this problem? How did you get from your former career to what you're doing now? So, and people are interested in origin stories. Yes. They want to know what your roots are because everybody. If you're an entrepreneur, you want to know about other entrepreneurs. If you're a, if you aspire to be an entrepreneur, or even if you never are going to be an entrepreneur, you're always interested in how people got started. Once you do, once you've got those kind of stories, the next kind of stories you can tell are stories about what you think. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the problem that you're solving? What do you think of the, about the big picture in terms of where your industry is going? Uh, how do you think about customers and the way that they should be solving their problems? And that's another. Those are other types of stories to tell. And then once you've got customers, well, then you tell stories about your customers and their success stories and how they found you and the problems they were having and how you came to the rescue. So there's always stories to be be told along the way, except that there's different stages. So I think inherently, like the most important thing to remember is brand storytelling has to happen at the very beginning. It has to be a part of Mm -hmm. your core DNA along with, product development sales and and just establishing the company overall if you're if you're not thinking about storytelling from the beginning you're making a mistake
1: Oh yeah absolutely and I, I think part of the story can also be the the, the process and the progress of, of the development of whatever you're making right so you, you can share the the journey and take people uh, to that journey with you
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a company called Groove that does uh, chatbots. And they've actually had some really popular blog posts about their struggles, and Mm -hmm. some of the obstacles that they've had to overcome. In fact, Alex Turnbull, who's the CEO, wrote a really popular blog post on how the company almost didn't survive. And it's Mm -hmm. transparency, it's honesty, it's really being authentic about who you are and what it's like to run a business. And we forget at sometimes times that, that people buy from other people. Like as yes. much as you buy from a company, you're actually buying from, from other people. A salesperson will sell you something. And that, as you mentioned earlier, emotions is a big part of the buying process. And so that if you can establish an emotional connection with your customers or prospects, that's very powerful. Even, even if you're admitting that you at one point in time were, weren't doing very well because people can relate to that they can relate to the ups and downs and Mm -hmm. that's that's an integral part of of marketing and marketing success
1: yeah you mentioned something that i totally agree with which was people buy from people uh and and i agree and i feel like that's the case even when we are talking about b2b products and services, uh, uh, but many people just don't really realize that. Like, would you like to elaborate and, and, and tell your views about uh, the, the importance of uh, the stories in the B2B um, environment specifically?
0: So when you think about whether it's B2B or B2C, what you're really selling is, is experiences. You're trying mm-hmm. from a marketing perspective to paint a picture of what it's like to use your product, the benefits, Value like how is your life going to change? So, for example, if you're a BDB company selling productivity tools, it's not about the productivity. It's about helping your customers do their work faster, so that they can enjoy more free time or mm-hmm. being able to be a better boss because you're le- you're spending less time on administrative tasks and more time connecting with your people. So, you're trying to paint a picture of uh, an aspirational picture of what. A better world looks like for them like what does it look like um, for them personally professionally um because they're using your product it's not about your product necessarily from a storytelling point of view they'll eventually learn about your product the features the benefits the prices but the way that you pull them into your world is that you show them what the experience looks like show them that there is a better way and here it is
1: okay yeah absolutely and the better you tell the story the the better they imagine the experience i guess and the better the results probably
0: yeah i mean the thing about it is and i i say this somewhat tongue, tongue-in-cheek is that people your product is irrelevant like people don't care about your product they don't care how it works they don't care about the all the technical amazing mm-hmm. technical things about it what they care about is them And what their needs are and their problems and their aspirations. So your goal as an entrepreneur from a marketing perspective is to show them that you can solve their problems and that you're different in some respect from the competition. So it, it would be a no brainer for a customer to pick you versus somebody else. Once you hook them on your story, once you establish that connection, even a very s- small connection, then you can start to open the proverbial kimono. You can show them, well, this is how our product works. And mm-hmm. this, is the, this is how easy it is to implement. And by the way, it costs this much, but the ROI is really amazing. It, it's It really is sort of a story that unfolds over time. You don't have to tell everybody everything all at once. You can actually yeah. do it in stages.
1: Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And and, and it's good that you mentioned about the the features and benefits and the technology, because um, I have um, just uh, experienced that, especially uh, in in the sphere where I'm working, which is the blockchain sphere, everyone is so excited about the technology that they are building on, uh, that technology ends up being the core spotlight and differentiator of their thing while you know that kind of I mean I don't think that as you said the users really care what tech is being used for whatever they are building so I do understand that for for them that's something very exciting and it is very um, interesting and amazing um, impressive technology but uh, that you know can't really be the story the core of the story and that can't be the differentiator so you mentioned you know, about being different and standing out. Uh, how do you detect what could be those, you know, parts of the story that could make you stand out from the from the other choices out there?
0: Right. So so one of the, the curse of the entrepreneurs and most entrepreneurs, many, many technology entrepreneurs are are engineers or software developers. And so they love their yeah. product, right? And so they have an obsession with how they've built a better mousetrap and no one really cares, right? What they care about is how you can tell a good story, how you can capture someone's attention in a very impactful way. So the way that you do it is that, for one, it's it helps to take an inside out look at your outside in look at your story. So you've got to look first. You got to look at the at the competitive landscape. So what are your competitors? How are they positioning themselves? How do they talk about themselves as being different or unique? Um, Are there things that they accentuate about their their product or the kind of experiences that they're delivering. And once you know that, then you can look inward and and say to yourself, okay, so what does our product do? How is it better? What what is it what are the things about it that make it a lot more, a lot better experience? So it could be the fact that it allows you to do solve your problem in a different way or solve your problem from different angles. Or it's or it's low cost. It's really accessible from a price point of view or that it's super, super simple to use. It's very intuitive. I mean, you're looking for, what you're really looking for is small differences because the reality is that your product is probably not that much different from everybody else. Everybody's basically selling the same product. It works the same, Mm -hmm. it may or may look sort of the same, it costs the same. So how do you stand out? You have to find something that is a little bit better, than the competition or different and then you rally around that and one of the ways that you test your your hypothesis once you found something is you talk to your customers and and prospects and you Mm -hmm. ask them so how do you see that we're different why did you buy us versus you know the comp the the key competitor like what was it about us that that made you realize that we were the better choice it could be something like customer service the fact that you when they were going through the sales process, your your customer success or your customer service people were right there answering questions, uh, giving them guiding them through like a free trial. So it may it may be something that you that you're not really aware of, but your customers will tell you. So, like one of the things I've been talking about a lot recently on LinkedIn is knowing your customers.
1: Because mm-hmm. there's yeah. a lot
0: of focus on you gotta know your customers. But the reality is that I would argue is many companies, many technology companies don't know their customers at all. They barely talk to them. If they talk to them at all, they don't understand them. They're not in touch with them on a regular basis. So the disconnect between the product that you're selling, the marketing that you're doing and what your customers are telling you and the experiences that they're having
1: do you also think that it's it's very good to involve the customers even before they become customers so they sort of you know that you get the insights while you are building the thing because then you may understand what are the things that are super important for them and maybe already you know while building the thing highlight that as being the differentiator like you know focusing on making sure that that thing is done better than anyone else has done it before or something like that like how early is it you know uh, important to involve the customers
0: i think you get customers involved in the process as early as possible so when you've got an idea now a lot of entrepreneurs what they've got is a hypothesis They're trying, they think they're onto something, but you gotta validate it even as you start to develop it. So the best way to do that is you talk to potential customers, people who you think might have a problem that needs to be solved. You may discover, yes, there's there's a huge problem that needs to be solved in the way that you're thinking, or you may discover that they don't have a problem at all, but they don't have the problem that you think they have. They have this kind of problem. so you've you've got to get them involved they have to be engaged and give you the feedback because otherwise you're you're building something in isolation unless you've got deep domain expertise unless you know the market inside out already then you're kind of operating blind so on one hand yes get your customers involved on the other hand you don't want them to steer your product like be the main source of steering your product because uh, i think henry ford once said if i asked my customers what they wanted they they tell me they still want to Foster ride horses purposes. yeah right so yeah, and Steve true. Jobs has the has the same kind of ideology as don't don't listen to your customers right but there is there is a balance between getting feedback and following your vision about what you think is needed in the marketplace but you have to have both um otherwise you're you're only getting one side of the story and if you're doing that then you could be wrong and that and that could be a very costly mistake
1: Oh, yeah, I totally get that. And and the other thing that I think many people are just, you know, not looking at it from the right angle is uh, many perceive that their customer is them themselves. So they are like, oh, I I don't like this or or, no, this is not a problem or whatever. Just filtering it out through their own kind of, you know, uh, point of view. And very often they are not their customer. They are not really anywhere close to who they are building the thing for.
0: And you have to understand that a lot of products have different types of customers so you may be a particular type of customer with a particular problem to be solved but you may have very similar customer who approaches it from a different angle their their problems are slightly different they want to solve them in a different way which is why why we talk about the need for buyer personas and mm-hmm. that at the very least uh early stage companies should have a two or three buyer personas and these are these are potential customers and you want to know what they look like what their interests are what their motivations are the kind of features that they rally around because they may not like this they may not all like the same features so the the more you know about your customer the easier it is to sell to them and market to them
1: yeah absolutely and to tell the story that they want to hear
0: basically and tell the story they want to hear because people respond to different types of stories absolutely
1: (laughs) yeah makes sense um so but when you come up with the story for, 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 um, for the brand, uh, they are probably, I presume there are probably different layers of the stories, right? There is the brand story. There is the story of the product. There is, as you mentioned, the origin story of, of how everything started. Uh, how do you, uh, sort of, you know, is there a certain kind of roadmap of when, which story is going to be used and how?
0: So I'm a big believer in establishing a brand positioning as a starting point, because Mm -hmm. you have to have your core story. You need to understand what your value proposition is, um, your positioning statement, your elevator pitch. So you've got that core story about what you do, who you serve, um, how you're different and the value that you deliver. So if you've got those key pillars in place, then you can start to tell stories in different places. So you can build your origin story Mm -hmm and your product story and your sales story. But what you're doing from a storytelling perspective, it's, it's variations on a theme. So you've got the core story, and yeah. then you tell slightly different versions in different places and different audiences. And the value of brand positioning is it gives you consistency, coherency, and clarity. And that everybody yeah. within the organization is reading off the same page, it is no one's Making up their version of the truth, because a lot of companies, if you ask the head of sales and the head of marketing, and the head of customer service and the entrepreneur, they yeah. may tell you completely different stories. And if that's the case, you've got a problem because who knows what the truth is. So yeah. brand positioning is an exercise that I see huge value in.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, it's, it's also, uh, apart from the fact that they have to be on the same page, it's also not only just the official communication of the brand, right? Because all these people who work there, they also go and interact with other people. And, you know, the, they are going to tell their versions of the stories. And, and if, if it's going to be so different from different people who work in the organization, the whole thing is going to get very, very confusing at some point, I guess.
0: Well, that's why there's it's important that once you've got your story, you need to pollinate it. You need to make sure that your employees know it, your customers, your investors, the media, which is why when you go to a lot of um, startup offices, they'll have big um, things on the wall with this is our value proposition, this is our mission statement, our vision statement. They're not, they're doing that. Well, it does look pretty cool when you go into an office, but one of the reasons subconsciously is that when people, pass by in the hallway, it's it's ingrained in their memories, it's ingrained in how they talk and, and the way that they communicate. Because if, if you're not, if you're not consistent, then you're gonna have you're gonna have a brand problem is that your yeah. branding is going to be all over the place. So, so brand positioning is extremely valuable. And I think a lot of companies should probably take a look at their brand positioning these days, given that consumers priorities are different. Yes, it really establishes a foundation for your marketing and sales
1: oh yeah absolutely because many many were so confused about okay at it, it, this period of time with corona and with with all these major changes uh, do we keep the same message do we Continue selling? Do we stop? Do we market? Don't we market? Like the, there has been loads of things that were causing confusion uh, from many different perspectives, and and I do agree consistency is 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 key. But sometimes in situations like this, uh, you know, sometimes it's worth looking back at how relevant and in context that positioning is, because many brands that I think suffered a lot were those who who kept as if nothing happened and just, you know, kept whatever was planned for their social media content, whatever was planned for their newsletters. And it just, you know, continued coming as if nothing happened. And that wasn't really the, you know, the, wrong, the, the right way to manage it, I guess, because that wasn't what people wanted to hear.
0: Yeah, one of the things to remember about brand positioning and messaging is it's very fluid. It's not one of these exercises where you're, you're, you do it and you forget it. It's and it's mm-hmm. not etched in stone. Brand positioning and messaging can change every month, every quarter, every year. The key is to revisit on a regular basis and to, and to ask yourself in a, in a really unbiased way, is it still relevant? Is it still on point? So I'll give you an example um, caused by Corona. So a brand could come out there and they could be saying, if you use our product, you're gonna drive higher profits. It's all about basically getting your customers to spend more money with you. Yeah. But Corona hit, and that's not what your customers want to hear. They they're not really they're still interested in making money, but what's more important for them is survival and making sure that they can keep the lights on. So, from a brand positioning point of view, what you want to do is position your product as we can drive operating efficiencies, we can help you do more with the same or less, and there's Uh a message that it's the same product. You're trying to sell the same thing to the same type of customers, but you're telling a different type of story, a story that resonates because it's aligned with what's happening in the in the general economy and what their needs are. So it's a very dynamic process um, and you really need to be aware of what your customers are thinking at all times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Which is why you you do need to get this direct link and direct communication with the customers and listen to them periodically as well. Because if you're doing this same exercise just as in isolation within your, you know, uh, within uh, your team, just in your office, without really getting the the feedback from from the outside world, you may not really know which direction is the right one to choose. I guess
0: it's a theme it's a theme that comes up a lot is is knowing your customers and and most marketers don't spend enough time with their customers if you think about a typical technology company the people that talk to their customers the most are salespeople before the sale so they're talking all the time but after you get a customer you've got your customer success and your customer service teams and they're probably talking to customers on a on a on a on a weekly if not a daily basis and they understand what their needs are how their needs are changing but the mistake happens when there's a disconnect between the marketing silo and customer success and customer service is they're not talking to each other. And the marketing people aren't in on the conversations with the customer success people. They're not sharing information. Nothing's our uh-huh. flag. So, so marketing thinks one thing, and customer success is, is has completely different information. And if you're, and again, if you're not on the same page, if you're not totally aware of what your customers are thinking, then you've got a marketing and a sales problem
1: yeah i mean and and that's when you're mentioning the situations where they have an in-house marketing team some of the startups are outsourcing a, a marketing agency, for example. And then, you know, very often the, the gap is even bigger uh, because, um, you know, they don't interact on, on such frequent basis. Uh, they, they There is some kind of detachment and so on and so forth. So it's, it, it, it's always a challenge to make sure that everything works smoothly and everyone is on the same page. Um, so, yeah, I mean... It's it's hard.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's going to be really interesting because one of the one of the things that I think is going to happen post COVID or even happening now is a lot of marketing departments have gotten smaller because marketing, when you think yeah. of, it, is one of the easiest places to cut when the times get yes. tough. Right? You don't want to cut your salespeople because they're selling product, but marketing people can be can you can probably get rid of them fairly easily. So a lot of marketing is going to be outsourced, especially a lot of the tactical day to day stuff so yeah. things like social media content PPC
1: marketing and yeah mm. yes
0: cpc that kind of thing but what's going to be should be kept in house is the strategy and brand positioning and brand storytelling so the marketing yeah. leader and whatever marketing people you you have they're responsible for making sure that the the tactical execution is underpinned by brand storytelling and brand positioning because if yeah. you're if you're executing without a consistent message, then you're, whatever you're doing is not going to work. So you can have the tacticians out there doing their thing. And there's, there's people who are really good at making stuff happen. They're in the trenches, you know, writing, copy, yeah. posting updates, but you've got to feed them the right kinds of information so they can do their jobs and, and they can be as successful as possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. The strategy is something that, uh, because it's so um, full, like so linked uh, to the business strategy, overall business strategy, and it's, it's supposed to support the business strategy. I mean, having someone who is knowledgeable inside the company to coordinate even the outsourced tactical people and agencies is is, is very crucial. And I totally agree with you. I mean, we spoke about consistency. Um how do you i mean i think sometimes the challenge especially for startups who are just you know starting out and have these several kind of uh stories and and have figured out their positioning um they they are risking a little bit uh sort of hammering the same thing the same way and uh becoming a bit redundant with with coming out like you know telling the same message but not in a different ways but In the same way and just repeating it over and over on interviews in articles just every time they they have this communication that's the message they were given and that's the message that they tell and the story they tell um what would you suggest i mean i i'm a true believer that the same story can be told in different ways especially on social media and content wise there are different formats different ways to tackle it and you can still give out the same message and still talk about your same positioning. But there's so much creative ways to not to be redundant and boring, I guess, and predictable, maybe.
0: That is a huge challenge because, again, right, you're a lot of early stage companies um, are are run by engineers. They're not creative people. I mean, they're creative in a different kind of way as opposed to marketers. So you, it's important to have marketers or marketing people that can help you tell stories in different ways to different audiences. And that takes brainstorming, creativity, knowing your customers, you know, all the things that can captivate an audience. And, but I would say one of the most powerful things um, for a startup is getting your stories told by customers because customers are authentic. People believe them way more than they believe what you're saying. So their stories could be testimonials, case studies, videos, guest posts, anything that, that represents the voice of the customer. And yeah, it's their story a crowdfunded
1: it. content.
0: And so you've got, you've got to have storytelling from multiple angles and multiple yeah. channels. So different voices in different places. And, but you're right though, um, being original, being creative is, is really hard. And one of the things I talk to startups about is you've got to walk before you run. It's better to focus on a few things and do them really well than spread yourself too thin. So you've seen situations where you go to a startup's um, website and their blog hasn't been updated in in weeks and they've got old testimonials and they haven't got new case studies because they're trying to do a million things at the same time because they think that if they take this shotgun approach to marketing where they try lots of different things at the same time, something's going to stick. And that doesn't work because what you end up doing is having very mediocre marketing As opposed to doing one or two things and doing them really, really well. So if you're going to write a blog, write really great blog posts. If you're going to be on social media, be engaging, be conversational, be creative, you know, have some fun, but do social really well. At the end of the day, that will start to resonate because you'll do marketing better than the competition is that you will be able to outflank your competitors in some respect. And that's what it is at the end of the day. It's all about can i win business from customers over other companies and if you can do that and make your customers happy then you're you're good to go
1: yeah i absolutely agree with you so uh let's talk about something that is you know uh quite surprising these days i mean it's probably a relatively new thing and and people are uh, probably thinking that it's counterintuitive um being a part-time cmo like it's it's a very high level role, I think it's a key role in the organization. And uh, it's very important to have someone um, knowledgeable, uh, obviously, but also, I don't know, many people think that it's very important to have someone in house and full time and available and kind of, you know, exclusively working for them. Um, I know you're a part time CMO as well, among other things that you're dealing with. Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
0: So at one at one point in every company's evolution, they need a full time VP marketing or CMO. There's no doubt about that. You need a marketing leader. You need them full time. You need them to be totally engaged. But having that kind of person, it's an it's an expensive uh, hire. You got to hire the right person with the right skills aligned with how your product is evolving and who your customers are. So it's it cannot be something that you jump into. Um, there's many situations where they hire a marketer, and that's why marketers don't last very long, as they. They end up in the wrong, it's the wrong fit. So if you're a technology company and you've got very much of a product centric view of the world, you're going to drive growth based on the on the strength of your product. And, and inevitably you hire salespeople. So they'll push your product from a sales perspective. But if you want to take the next step, take your company to the next level, you're going to have to layer on marketing. So mm-hmm. the big challenge is where do you start? Like, who do you hire? How big is your team? And so the way that I work with many companies and a lot of them are around 50-60 employees or less is that they say I want to do marketing and and but I don't want to hire a full-time team right now I don't want to hire a $150,000 a year senior marketing person because I'm not sure whether I really want that person right now or or yeah. I'm going to do enough marketing to make it worthwhile but I do want to get started so either you go to an agency and have them do all the work for you and handle the strategy and the tactics Or you hire some junior people to write some blog posts and be on social media. I mean, that's one approach. Or the other approach is you hire a fractional CMO, somebody like myself who's got a lot of experience um, and expertise who can come in and act as a hands-on advisor, someone who can essentially tell you, here's the type of marketing you need to do, here's how we're going to do it, and I'll help you establish a marketing foundation I'll help you do the right kinds of marketing for the company right now. Mm -hmm. So to make sure that you're spending your money as effectively as possible. And as, as, as you grow, and as you're, as you get more confident about, about marketing, then my job is to work myself out of a job. So eventually you're going to replace me. Eventually the goal is to replace your fractional CMO, because you're going to get to a point in time where you're confident about your marketing. You've got the money to invest. And you really think if the company is going to take the next step up that you need a full-time senior marketer, but not every company can go from, from A to B right away. Yeah. A lot of them have to take that mini step so that they feel more confident. They've got money in the bank to hire a marketer and that they make the right hire at the right time. And ultimately that'll make for successful marketing. So. So it's a bit of a long-winded answer uh, to your question, but I think there is a... No, it, it for-
1: totally makes sense. No, no, it totally makes sense. I'm just wondering, like, you know, I, I was surprised because usually, you know, when when you look around or, you know, when, when you um, talk to people, uh, that's not something that comes up, right? You don't see this in vacancy announcements. Um, you don't... I mean, I didn't even kind of, you know, knew that there was a demand for such such a thing, right? So it feels like it's, it's, it's something that is not so popular or so visible at the moment in the market. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like with, um, you know, with what you explain and plus with, uh, with the increase of remote work, remote work where you have like bigger chances and, and bigger opportunities and options to get talent from everywhere these days, and and with this whole shift in, in the way people work and are gonna work in the future, I think it totally makes sense. Um uh, because it's probably easier to, to uh initiate all this. So um so yeah, I mean is that uh I don't know. I mean, what's the process usually like those, those people, I mean, I'm sure that with COVID, like as you said, the the easiest uh, thing that was cut was marketing. So many people would be probably looking for uh, for options and uh, most people would probably have uh, challenges finding like a stable full time, whatever. for looking this, uh, for these kind of solutions, what, what's the first step? How does one look for a position like that so or involvement like that?
0: You're right. A lot, of, a lot of companies, it's either all or nothing. Either we hire the VP of marketing or we don't hire. We just have some junior people. So it's an awareness yeah. problem. It's, it's, it really is making them aware that this kind of solution exists and that they can sort of almost, they can, they can eat their cake and have it too you know they can hire a senior marketer without paying the cost of a of a senior marketer yeah. so so the important thing from about a fractional cmo is it doesn't have to be oh i'm going to hire this person they're going to work for me two or three days a week it doesn't necessarily have to be a part time Mm -hmm. full-on kind of engagement. There's different kinds of fractional CMOs. So for example, what I I do is from a, from a beginning point of view is I can, I can offer advisory or coaching services. So you can hire a fractional CMO who may talk to you once a week, walk you through some of the key marketing decisions, uh, provide you with feedback on whether you're doing the right kinds of marketing, basically sort of being the trusted advisor to help you do the right things. And if if that works for you and, and you've got a, a team that can execute, that's awesome. And then you take the next step up where we want to do a messaging overhaul or we want to redo our website. But I need somebody from a marketing perspective who's been there and done that before. So I'll hire them on a project basis, maybe for, mm-hmm. for two or three months to help me get through this this key exercise. And then the, the next stage is going to be I want somebody to work with me on a regular basis. I want, them, I want to buy one or two days a week of this person's services and and I want them to continue with me for three or six or 12 months, however long you need them. So there are different flavors that you can buy depending on what your needs are. But the sort of the common denominator is you get marketing firepower. It's on demand that you don't yeah. need a full-time resource and that you get yeah. what you need. And then there's the, ups- the other side, in addition to saving you money, is there flexibility. You can hire someone for a particular type of skill set Let's say someone who is really all about branding and content marketing, and they can serve your needs for a certain period of time. And then when you evolve your marketing into SEM and SEO, then you may need a different type of marketer. But Mm -hmm. the ultimate inflexibility, both from a financial point of view in terms of skills
1: yeah it it totally makes sense because as you said in very often it's all or nothing and I think these days uh, everything is changing in such way that uh, it's not gonna be about all or nothing like it's it's not I mean the, the types of companies will be shifting as well I mean there won't be like a very extreme corporate versus very extreme startup or whatever there there probably will be some different kind of type of mixtures the, the talent uh, as well like you know now that people have tried the remote work and work from home concepts because many didn't even know how it would work out right We did, many didn't have the chance to try it out now everyone has tried it everyone knows whether it's for them or not and uh, many people like the I mean it feels like are going to prefer the hybrid model in the big, uh, in for the future so it's not going to be either that extreme or the other so things are going to shift and I think that this flexibility from, from the company's perspective to, to be able to uh, be flexible in terms of who they hire for how long, what's the involvement and just have this agile involvement scale is, um, is it, it's kind of, it, it, it brings a bit of freedom and, and it reduces probably the risk of commitment as well at some yeah, point.
0: Yeah, I like the idea, of, I like the sort of the, the idea of agile marketing from a both a skills perspective and, and financial is that it's exciting and terrifying at the same time. So, from uh, on the upside, is that you can get the talent that you need anywhere around the world yeah. to make marketing work. So, if you need an SEO person, you can hire the best person, regardless of location. If yeah. you need a content marketer, there are there are amazing writers all around the world who can help you out. And the terrifying part about it, or the downside, is that you've got to you've got to mar- you've got to manage these people. Is that you've yes. got to find a way to make sure that yeah. they're doing what they need to do, they're getting proper guidance and direction, is that the work is being done on time to the standards that you expect. And so what you're probably gonna need is a marketing, like somebody to quarterback the whole thing, somebody to make sure that the right things are happening in the right way yeah. at the right time. And, and maybe that's the key marketing function within many companies going forward, is that you have somebody who can, who can do strategic guidance and can, yeah. and can do quality control. Um, And that's probably the key hire, the key full-time hire or a fractional hire within an organization. And then you can use whoever you want to do whatever you want, anytime, anywhere, anywhere.
1: Yeah, and the moderator just to connect the dots and to coordinate between the others because very often in marketing, everything is interrelated. So if you have three different hires for different uh, activities in different countries, they still need to talk to each other. They still need to sort of be on the same page uh, uh, on, on their project. So there, there probably is in need of someone who will just take it in their hands and kind of coordinate everything and make sure that you know the conversations are happening and uh, this yeah, the things are uh, discussed before moving forward and things like that probably yeah and
0: I think that's I, I think that's know. one of the things that's really been interesting about this whole work from home phenomena and the, the realization that you can you can do weekly zoom meetings and you can get that connection and you can establish relationships with people yeah. where uh, through video. I mean we used to think that if you were an employee that you had to be at the office, And I think for many startup entrepreneurs, it's all about control, that you're, you're aware who your people are, you can walk around and talk to them. And this new reality is that's, that's everyone's everyone can be virtual. But how do you manage those people? So video via zoom is a great way or Skype, or whatever tools you're using, there are ways that you can stay in touch with your team, and ways that you can manage ways that you never thought before. So I think it's a whole new landscape right now. And it's, I think it's really. It is, yeah. I mean,
1: for for some it is new. For some, not so much, because I mean, I've been. I'm working in a company since a year and a half, which was founded about three years ago, and it was founded from day one being a remote uh, company. So you know the everyone is scattered in 27 different countries working remotely working from home most of them have never met in person and and yeah all these tools that they are talking about different messengers uh, the telegram the zoom video calls and everything else uh, are kind of you know the crm um, project managers and things like that are, are all the tools that we uh, we are using and the interesting thing is just like in marketing there is not one size fits all. I think it highly depends on the team and on the people on it and, and on the structure of the company and the, what they are actually doing, because then the tool, there are so many tools and so many options, right? Like Zoom has become the most popular one, but Zoom-like software is, is everywhere. Like, you know, um, Steven Steven here uh, in comments mentions Discord. Discord is another amazing kind of, you know, um, tool to be used uh, for communications as well. So the tools are too many. It's just now the challenge is probably you picking the ones that will work best for you and, uh, and just sticking to a few of those and moving forward, I guess.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the keys for a lot of companies is going to be the ability to establish corporate culture and corporate relationships. The fact yeah. that when many people are working in different places, how do you make people feel like they're part of the same team? How do you build those bonds when they're not?
1: That's the biggest challenge. Yeah. That's together? the biggest challenge. Like
0: There was an interesting story about uh, in the New York Times recently about Matt Mullenweg, who's the head of uh, WordPress. And from the start mm-hmm. of WordPress, WordPress has always been remote. All their employees are remote. In fact, the the co-founder when matt founded the company the co-founder lived in london and he never met him they just formed the company together and as they went along they just hired the best people in the best place in different places and i think the whole idea of of having remote organizations is going to be more of a reality i think i think more people can recognize the fact that it can happen and it can be successful but to your point the right platforms, the right technology, the right tools to drive efficiencies and productivity, and culture, and all the things that matter to to create a sort of a well oiled corporate machine. Those are going to be really important.
1: Yeah, yeah, loads of opportunities. I'm sure um, you know. Completely new types of services will be emerging. Uh, completely new type of opportunities will be coming up, and uh, um, this is uh, going to be the time when you you know, if you manage to uh, predict the trends in advance and just take the jump and and just go for it, uh, I think those entrepreneurs will be the ones who will be actually uh, making it because uh, I'm sure that there are shifts already happening. So the ones who will detect them earlier on and would provide solutions for for these new types of problems uh, will really do really well so yeah, yeah it's,
0: it's a whole new it's a whole new landscape from a from a marketing sales customer service perspective it's it's really exciting I, i'm really interested in to see the way that things unfold and i think marketing is going to be a place where there's going to be a lot of changes and things yes and things are done um and that people like me are going to find new opportunities because marketing needs are going to change and the way that people access different types of skills are going to change as well. So it's, um, it's an exciting place to be right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Because like, you know, uh, consumer behavior is gonna have Huge shifts as well. And, and there will be loads of things that will be changing. So now, like paying attention at these shifts and, and, you know, as you mentioned, being connected to consumers and making sure that when this shift happens, you already know which direction it's going to before it's too late is going to be very important for the brands. Because your your, your customer persona, maybe you know him very, very well, but because of these changes, um, the whole thing has been re, re- evaluated for that person and he no longer wants the experiences he wanted before probably
0: yeah everybody talks about the new normal whatever that is i think just everything's going to be new it's going to be new and it's going to be different and we're all going to have and that's
1: normal (laughs) exactly
0: exactly i know i know it's it's, it's a good it's really really interesting i'm the next few months or the next six to 12 months however long i don't know we're in it's going to be where i think we're going to be operating all be operating a lot differently
1: yeah, yeah i totally agree with you well i mean let, let's hope it's going to be more exciting and it's going to be uh shifts that are we're going to enjoy uh because whether we want it or not we're going to be part of it anyway so <laughs> hopefully it will be uh, a positive change and uh and i think uh just yeah we, we we do need to be agile we do need to just adapt and and uh yeah if if we can see the opportunities and just take most out of them, uh, then that would be a great thing as well. So uh, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming over. Uh, it was a great conversation. And um, yeah, I, I wish you all the best. And uh, hopefully we'll have some other conversations later on where we will discuss how things have changed, probably. Well,
0: thanks. Thanks for the invitation and I really appreciate it. I think, you know, closing remarks would be, the power of linkedin this is how we connected through linkedin yes. i think it's an amazing community there's some great conversations happening the pe- there's lots of people who are adding some amazing information some amazing content on linkedin and that's and again what it really matters to is the value of connections right and connecting with people whether it's to sell them things or to exchange ideas and um and if you're not looking at linkedin as a as a, a channel to learn And and to, you know, build your personal and corporate brands, then you're missing out on something really interesting these days
1: yeah absolutely I would say that LinkedIn is changing a lot as well it has changed a lot uh, recently and uh, and I think uh, those who won't be solely consumers of content on LinkedIn and those who won't be simply lurking and will go out there do something or at least connect with others are going to take most out of the platform because if you're just going to read what others are consuming uh, producing it's, uh, it's going to bring you value, but probably not as much as if you were participating in the whole ecosystem. So I would highly encourage uh, people to just get most out of it.
0: Right, great. Well, it's been great talking to you, Annie. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck in the future, and we'll uh, we'll stay in touch.
1: Absolutely. Take, thanks a lot.
0: Okay. See ya. <laughs>